From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Rabbi Yechiel Sholo Levitansky, Rabbi of Sumi and the Sumskaya region in Ukraine. Rabbi Levitansky explains why he moved from California to Ukraine almost 20 years ago, shares how he can help those suffering in Ukraine, and discusses how he was able to escape the war-torn region. Also, the rabbis are joined by Rabbi Yaakov Gibber, Rabbi Boca Jewish Center. Rabbi Gibber discusses the massive growth Boca Grove has seen over the last few years, reflects on the passing of Rav Chaim Kenievsky, and talks about the unity among the rabbis of the Boca Raton community. Plus, a Rabbi Brody Duff Yomi update. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, it's Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I am Rabbi Yaakov Goldberg, joined by a very noisy and loud and on location yet again, Rabbi Josh Brody, and we're here to take you behind the Bima. <laughs> Rabbi Brody, where you know, every Wednesday night, our audience around the world gets to play. Where is Rabbi Brody tonight? I don't know why I can't hear you. Where is Rabbi Brody tonight? Rabbi, where are you? You are muted, and I don't know where you are. So I will begin by carrying this show by myself. Maybe it's time to hang up behind the bima. It could be it could be it's run its course. It could be it was fun while it lasted, and it's time to move on. It could be, but anyway, I want to thank Eli and Eva Ganauer, the Ganauers, who are members of the Greater Boca Raton community, members of Boca Jewish Center. We're going to have on its rabbi tonight, our dear friend, my brother Rabbi Yaakov Gibber. So excited to have him on, and also an update from Ukraine, Rabbi Yechiel Shlomo Levitansky, who's a rabbi of a small little village, a town right on the border with Russia for an update on what's happening there, his family, refugees getting out, who he left behind, and what is going on there. But we're very grateful to the Ganauers. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your sponsorship. Thank you for your friendship. And really a a great reflection of Boca, the ability to be connected to the whole greater community. And uh, we don't subscribe to the divisions that divide other communities. Go to this shul, not the other shul. We're all one big community, and we are all one big family. And now I am by myself on Behind the Bima. In any case, a lot going on here in Boca Raton and around the world. We continue to daven for those in the Ukraine. Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Um, obviously, was a difficult week for Klai Yisrael. A terrible murder, terrorist attack in Israel, killing four innocent, very beautiful people. Just when we're lulled into a full, full sense of security, uh, there are terror attacks that continue to strike and haunt the Jewish people. And um, and uh, the loss this week of, of course, uh, Reb Chaim, oh, Chaim, a great loss yeah. of huge an extraordinary loss. individual, a huge loss. Rabbi Brody is back, joins mid-sentence, tries to huge catch loss. right up. So there's a lot to talk about. We'll, we'll talk about Reb Chaim when we bring on Rabbi Gibber. Last time I was at Reb Chaim, it was actually with Rabbi Gibber. Uh, who he was and what he meant and what that loss means to Kla Yisrael, it is a huge loss. So it was a heartbreaking, it's a heartbreaking time for Kla Yisrael, the loss of our Gadol Hador, who was really unique and distinct, the Sar HaTorah, the uh, loss, tragic loss of four victims of terror, Hashem Yikom Damam, Hashem should avenge their blood, and the continued uh, challenges in, in Ukraine, they are on and all. So let's let's focus on some good news. We definitely need some good news. One piece of good news is the BRS Global Campaign is complete. Uh, last year we raised, I think, $113,000 from 800 and something supporters this year we blew past that number and in fact we blew past our goal we had a very ambitious audacious goal of $150,000 from non-BRS members who appreciate who listen to read to watch and 880 of you responded 
bringing in $152,392. From the bottom of our hearts, we're grateful. So we are done. We are no longer doing the global campaign. It's not shut down. If you want to go to beerasonline.org slash global, if you've not yet said thank you, done your part to help us spread our message, of course, we remain eager for your help and participation. But the campaign is complete, and we're really excited to have surpassed it. That's one piece of fantastic good news. Rabbi Brody, tell us some other some other things that people can get excited about. Can we get a Dafyomi update from Rabbi Brody? Okay, first of all, the day was March 1st. Today is March. It's a long time after the 1st. What's it, today, the 21st? 23rd. 23rd, so it's more than three weeks, and we're in the middle right now of Yavamos. I got to tell you that um, I'm happy we're done with that first Mishnah. It was not an easy Mishnah. But uh, today we had a lot of Agadita, great, great daf. And the best part is I'm in. I haven't missed one day. You know, Reb uh, Eli is, is uh, he thought he would he would see a drop off when it came to Yavamos. Right. And based on the number of views and the number of participants, he's actually seen a rise. There are more people learning Yavamos now than he ever anticipated. So and what is it? You started this before and you dropped it. Now you're three weeks in and you feel like you're in it forever. And please, God, you are. We've all marked our calendars. Everyone's going to join you. You know, it is yet to be seen whether it'll be in Israel or in Boca Raton. But right. everyone's going to join you for the big scene, Masha. So what is it? What's different this time? I'll tell you, it's, it, 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 it's, it, it's the way he draws you in. And just makes you feel like you're one of the guys. He knows who his audience is. He knows that, you know, some of the guys are going to struggle. And he acknowledges it. And he puts it on the table. And there's so many different things that he, that the, the way in which he teaches and the way in which he engages, it's incredible. Like you real, really feel like you're you're part of something special and you don't want to miss it. So you're part of a movement. You're not just learning a daf you put a check next to. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you, it's, it's actually affected two other things in my life when it came to learning. So now I'm doing the chayenu. And somehow that's, it's like kind of bled into that. On the one hand, that started a few weeks earlier, but there's this excitement also. And, and the third part is, well, look, Maybe there's something we could do in terms of learning. Maybe there's, there's some audience that we're not reaching. And if we did it in a little bit of a different way, I'm not sure what that is. Maybe there are more people we could reach. Listen, the daf is not for everyone. The daf is hard. First of all, you know, even his shear is between 45 minutes and an hour every day. Right. But maybe there's other things. There's other parts of Torah that we could learn and just teach it in a way. But not, again, I know you had the, the issues with the other, uh, you know, the TikToks. No issues, other no issues. I love all Jews. I love all people. Well, there are it's, no it's issues. It's not simple the way some people are teaching, but there are, we, we call it different ways that are, that we're just not employing some of these techniques. And I think there are a lot of people that could really start enjoying learning. Yeah. No, you're bringing up a good point. We did talk about it with my cousin, Rabbi David Beshevkin, and it's an ongoing conversation. Where are the boundaries? We should employ creativity, ingenuity. That's BRS, right? We're, we're always trying to push the envelope a little bit in terms of creativity with programs and, and bring people in and make things different, make them fun. Purim night, we had an incredible program for Is that beep? Are you in the Meadowlands parking lot? Where are, can we get an update of where you are right now? I, are you outside, you're outside the Big Shemesh Mall. I can't figure out where you me, are. Can I tell you something? I gave a Devar Torah tonight for the Federation. And at the end of the, at end of the, the, the Devar Torah, Matt and Marla, you know, the, the execs at our Federation said, are you on a bus? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can we, can we get a location? Can we get I a I can't GPS? give a location right now, but we're, we're, we could be anywhere between here and Poland at this now, moment. Is the reason you didn't give a location because you told Simone I'll be home in a couple minutes and you didn't even tell her you left? She, you know, does she think that there's a chance I might be home tonight? There's always a chance she might think that. I might have to let her know it's probably not tonight. Probably but not tonight. 
So we, this is a new a new game. Feel free on the YouTube comments. Maybe the winner, we're going to send you some Behind the Bema swag. We've got better swag than ever. So try to guess. Where Can is Rabbi Brody this Behind the, the Bema? Just based ramp. on the, yeah. There's a ramp. There's a, there's a parking lot. I can't really tell. People listening, not watching. You see right YouTube. now, I could turn the phone around and people would recognize. I just don't want to do that right now. Convention center? You're at, I don't know where you are. Where are you, in Nashville, Tennessee? It doesn't even matter. But anyway, coming back, so where's that boundary and where's that line between creativity versus staying within the bounds? You know, this was, that's this week's Parsha. Shmini, Nadavanaviu, not to compare anyone to them, God forbid, or say they deserve the same ends, but that's the whole challenge. Right. They bring in the Zara. They feel spiritual, they're on fire, they want to click close to God, but they they breached that boundary and they got too creative and they went outside of what Hashem wanted. So that's that fine line. That's where we started saying Purim Night. Rob Shore, our amazing graphic designer, inspired us based on a program he does in Israel where we divided up Masechem's Megillah. People signed up in advance what daf they were taking. And then in 45 minutes, everyone learned their daf. We had a siyam, we had a tans, we had a good dance, and we had a, a suda. And we hoped like 30, we hoped, you know, just the minimum would come to cover the Masechta. And there were 150 people. Right. It was a packed house, learning Torah, perm night, a siyam, dancing, singing. It was incredible. So there was some creativity there, dividing it up, doing it that night, the way we did it. So how do you find that line is an interesting question. Right. And, and also, I know you don't want to talk about Rav Chaim. Maybe I'll, 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 save, I'll save it for later. Because you could, you could also see from all the videos that are coming out right now that, that, he, that he had an incredible personality. I mean, it, the Gadol Ador had a personality that, that, that um, uh, unfortunately, we're only seeing some of the videos now. I wish I would have seen some of these when he was, when he was alive. But, you know, right. you take a look at, at Rashi in the beginning of this week's Parsha. And what happens? It's, you know, Moshe is instructing his brother, you know, Karev Elam is Be'ach. Come closer. And you're like wondering, where, where is he? And then you say to yourself, one second, where is he? The last time Moshe gave him responsibility and gave him, a, you know, an opportunity for leadership. What happened? You know, Moshe's up on the mountain. And look what happened with Aaron. So you can understand he was a little... He's a little concerned, but what does Rashi say right there? Right, even with the shortcomings, this is your opportunity to shine. And and I, I think that everyone's got something that they can offer. You know, you we, no one's perfect. You know, no one might be the best teacher, but figure out ways to learn. There's so many ways that we can all engage, whether we have a talent to teach, or we, or, or maybe there's a place where we can find that we can spend some time some time studying and. All of a sudden, you find this connection to Torah which you never had. It's it's, it's amazing. Right, right. I love to see you on fire, Rabbi Brody. Oh, you're, like a Shana, you're like a Shana Aleph kid all over again. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. I when's love the last time? When's the last time you felt this way, near Jake? It's been a long time because I, I don't know if you remember, but about three years ago, I think it was maybe right before Corona, we had um, I forgot who it was, but someone in our in our shul got up. Um, it was right before. Maybe it was Shavuos time, where he spoke about Shnai Mikra, and he spoke yes. about the, the benefits. Do you remember who it was? Yeah, there was sure. so many benefits of Shnai Mikra, and I, it was right. I guess it was right before we started Bereishis, so it must have been Simchas Torah. And I really gave it a good shot. Like I made it, I think through like Vayera, or I made it to like Chaisara. And and I think it's what Rebelli said is that so many times what happens, the Yetzirah will just tell us if you miss a day or two, you're just not going to get through, and then you give up. I think his advice was great, which I never I haven't used it yet. But if you fall behind, don't try play the catch up game. Just move right. on. You, you, you miss right. a page. It, it's, it's terrible, but it's not it's not the end of the world. Right. You, so so I love it. So I, again, I started I, I started now. It's not even Shnai Mikra. It's just Chumash and Rashi. But it's but it, but 
I, I'm in the parshios of, of Vayikra. I've never been there in my life. It's amazing. My whole life, I've never seen it. So it's so never, like, it's never too late to start again. You're almost fifty. Almost fifty, Brody. Yeah, almost, almost 50. fifty. Almost fifty. I'm a lot it's younger. Amazing. Almost fifty, and uh, and you start again. It's never too late to bring that freshness. So we want to uh, bring on Rabbi Levitansky. Um, Ukraine, you know, it, we're what are we two, three weeks into this war, and obviously we're all start, still following it very closely. It's heart wrenching. Innocent people, children being targeted, murdered, killed. It's really such an immoral invasion and war. And yet, to a certain degree, there's some fatigue that's unfair, but the news doesn't seem to change. You know, I wake up, first thing I do, I'm checking what happened. Did, did Russia invade deeper? Did they conquer the capital? Did Ukraine fold? And it's kind of like for two over two weeks straight, every day is the same news. Ukraine showing greater resilience, holding back. Russia threatens to up the ante. America sort of promises they're going to help, but not exactly helping. So, you know, we're, we're watching from a comfort of a distance what's really happening on the ground. The opportunity to hear from Rabbi Levitansky what's happening on the ground. So without any further ado, Rabbi Yechiel Shlomo Levitansky. We are here with Rabbi Yechiel Shlomo Levitansky from Sumy, Ukraine, the Samskaya region. How do you pronounce that, Rabbi? Sumskaya region, yeah, or Oblast. Sumskaya region. We are uh, so grateful that you're giving us time and we are thinking about you and dominating for you. And you are coming to us from Ukraine, correct? You're right now still there. I'm right now actually in Artistral, believe it oh, or not. I didn't um, realize that today. Yes, for the past, for, for, for a few days now. You've gotten out for a few days and is your intent to go back? Yes, absolutely. Wow. And despite the dangers and despite the threats and despite what's happening there? Um, we try to be as careful as possible, but uh, there are plenty of people that need help. So I'm going back to help. I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it all the way back to Sumi. Um, but even last week I was in Poland and I was helping send send things, send uh, food, medicines, uh, get people over the border, help them get to Artisrael or to Germany. So how, how many of the people of your original community, first of all, there's so much to talk about, and I didn't realize that you already are out and planning on going back. Um, so that tells our audience how unscripted Behind the Bima is. Um, so I, I want to hear how you got there to begin with, why you ended up in Ukraine. But even before we get there, so um, tell us about the community. How large is the Jewish community in the area that you were the rabbi of? How many of them left? Uh, how many refugees and how many stayed behind that you would be going back to help Continue to shepherd. Um, okay, that's a lot. A lot in one question. Yeah. Um, basically, basically, our community is considered um, a smaller community. Mm -hmm. Consider, um, you know, if you compare it to other cities in Ukraine, um, the city itself is also not so great. It's three hundred thousand people, a little less. Um, we estimate about three thousand. Jewish people in the city, but that's a real guess. Um, most of the people that we have to do with today, after 17 years of living there, um, 10 years ago, five years ago, they didn't know that they were Jewish. So it's a very difficult question really to answer. How many Jews are there? How many people in the community? Um, we have about 400 people that we're regularly in contact with. So they're either coming to Shiurim or Minyanim or come for Yamim Tovim or something like that. 
um, we have contact with them, and then we have a list of close to 1,500 people that we know of. Um, and uh, if somebody told me there were 10,000 Jews in the city, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just uh, very difficult. Meaning these are, these are people who, who were born or grew up in Ukraine and whose parents were Jewish, but for some reason may have hid that from them or didn't emphasize that. And now through the um, renewed presence of a Jewish life in that city, some of them are either remembering or being reminded or being told for the first time that they're Jewish, they're discovering their Judaism? Absolutely. Right, right on. Um, our city was actually the stronghold for the heads of the NKVD, of the KGB, during communist times. So um, any Yidin that lived there were actually uh, working for the uh, the Jewish section of the NKVD. Um, and so understandably they they did not uh pass on to their children that they were jewish uh, they didn't consider that one of the important things to tell them right. um so we have these are their children or grandchildren great-grandchildren even of uh of that generation and uh, they just don't they don't know that they're jewish until they're told so we have plenty of people that tell us uh I'm, my grandmother was jewish but i'm not you know, mm. so that's very common so people um, discover. So, so there, well, how many did you say you were working with on an ongoing basis? About four hundred. About four hundred, right? So out of the four hundred, how many are still there, and how many got out? How did they get out, and where did they go? Okay, our um, our city is on the Russian border, literally on the Russian border. The parts of the county of the Sumskaya County that shares the the city shares uh, the border, meaning that you have the border going down the street. And you have your your neighbors across the street live in Russia, and you live in Ukraine. Uh, just to give you an idea of uh, where where we are in regards to Russia. Right. Um, after 2014, they actually put up a border. Before then, there was no border. People mm. would would go from one place to the next freely. Um, they put up a border, and cities were literally the shtetla, not cities, but uh, villages were were. Um, split in half, kind of. Um, and when this all began on Thursday morning, five o'clock in the morning, when we heard the sirens for the first time, I never knew that we had a siren in our city. Hmm. I told my kids that it's the Shefer Shal Mashiach. I was convinced, you know, that we're waiting for this big uh, event to happen. All of a sudden, this siren, five o'clock in the morning, nobody knew what was going on. Um, uh, the Russian army literally came in within a few hours. They were already in our city. Wow. Uh, on their way to Kiev, really. So um, our city was pretty much under siege from the beginning, from day one. And anybody that left right away, which were very, very few, um, most of the people up until then, the feeling on the ground was that this wasn't going to happen. Uh, anybody it wasn't even a topic of conversation in general uh between people of like you know there's a war going on we have to we have to prepare for it or it was like everybody was convinced that this was a political game that was going on um even though the, the russian troops were on the border it wasn't a secret right. they were they were right, right there uh, so right. this came kind of as a surprise uh that it actually was happening and people didn't just pick up and go um 
but they did start to go that Thursday and Friday was a lot of people, you know, going to stores and trying to buy things and, and saving up and thinking that, you know, this actually is going to get worse. Um, but very few people left. And then after that, it wasn't possible to leave. Um, the roads were too dangerous. Uh, the, the Ukrainian army attacked the Russian troops that were coming through and it was just turned into a war zone literally on the streets of the city and mainly on the roads leading from Sumy to Kiev, which is a five hour drive. Hmm. Um, so it was basically the, the feeling and uh, the message that we were getting from, from all the officials were that it's safer to be at home and um, be, you know, curfew from six in the evening to six in the morning. Uh, but at least you're home. Uh, than to be out on the street or to drive out, of, out to, to leave the city. The people didn't leave. People just stayed put. Um, other cities that were... The more... Russians, can I just interrupt you, Rabbi? The, when the Russians came in and this was the first city they took, um, were they satisfied with just taking over the city in terms of its sovereignty? Were they hostile, <laughs> abusive? Were people scared? Was it dangerous for people? Um, I don't think anybody even realized what happened because uh, as far as i understand the ukrainian army allowed them through they mm. they they basically ambushed them they let them come in with their whole entourage and once they were thinned out over a couple of kilometers you know all, all the way through going towards kiev then they they attacked them and and started to um fight with them so uh, when they came in their intention i don't think was to take over they did announced kind of that they took over the city right away right um but it didn't last very long and then when they came back the next day and the next day uh then it was more hostile because then they were coming to um to fight they they started to bomb um within the city um targeting certain areas etc so yeah then it started getting more more serious um, the first day or the first few hours, it wasn't, uh, I, I don't think that that was the matara. That, that wasn't their goal right. uh, to take over Sumi. It's a small little, you know, a small little city. They were going to Kiev and that, you know, they right. were stopped. So. so how many, how many of the 400 are, are still there? How many have gotten out? Would you say? Um, we have taken out about 11, now 11 bus loads of, uh, our community, but, um, unfortunately, a lot of the community are intermarried, and uh, so including everybody, so to say, if you're asking me about the 400 Jewish people that we actually uh, deal with, I would say about 70 uh, approximately have left. Uh, most of them did not. Oh, and wow. the reason and why, being, why? again, yeah. in the beginning, it was difficult to leave. Later, it became scary to leave. When I left, nobody wanted to leave with me. Um, I, I eventually left because uh, after being there for a whole week, um, and I had no intentions of leaving, but uh, the Russian Air Force started to, to bomb um, civilian homes and uh, apartment buildings, uh, kindergartens. Um, and not, not only in our city, or not even so much in our city, but in the neighboring city of Kharkov, where they were really bombing. I have a sister that uh, they are in Kharkov, 
and that's a much larger city. It's the second largest city in Ukraine and um, a very, very large community there. Um, on Wednesday, they left from, from Kharkov because it was getting so bad. Right. And most of the other shluchim within the area on this side, on, on the northern side of Ukraine, also started to uh, to leave because of, because it was it, it was becoming more more dangerous to be at home than to be on the road. How uh, how did you get out? How were you able to get out? Uh, I I don't know if I can answer that question because I I really don't know. I hadn't slept for a week until then. Um, uh, I tried to bribe, bribe. I don't know. I tried to pay a driver, which uh, that worked for us for many years, to take my wife and kids and take them out to the border. And I, I planned on staying behind, and I couldn't for no money. I mean, I offered him thousands of dollars in cash to to make the trip, but he refused. Um, I then convinced two other community members that have vehicles that they should drive along with me because I didn't want to go myself. Right, and then on Thursday morning, when we planned to leave at six in the morning, they backed out or chickened out or whatever you want to say. The right. um, last um, Breda, I took I took my car with my kids and whatever we decided was important, which is a very um, I don't know I, I guess it's something that I should mention, but it's a feeling that I never had in my life, and I hope nobody ever has to have that feeling. But on the other hand, it's an incredible, incredible feeling to when, when you come to the realization that you have to make a decision, what is important for you in life? What are you going to take with at the, you know, you have an hour or two to figure out of all your possessions, everything that you have, you're going to take your talus and tefillin and, you know, a little bit of clothing and what else is important to you right. that you're going to take along with you um, because you don't know if, you're going to come back to a home that's there or not. Hmm. Um, very powerful feeling. Uh, we packed up our car and we headed. I had uh, being there for many years. I'm connected with all of the government officials. So I was in touch with the head of, I guess, the equivalent of the FBI, what you would call. Um, and they basically guided, they guided me. They told me which roads were cleared at that hour. Um, the road from Sumy to Kiev, the first 70 kilometers were clear, so we were able to drive. And then they told us you have to turn down to smaller Hicktown roads through fields, through um, just uh, not even roads. I don't even know what you want to call them. Um, Dirt paths, yeah. yeah. We uh, along along the road, all along the road from Sumy to Kiev, there were burnt out blown up tanks, trucks, um, armory, whatever, whatever. This was a, this was a war zone. This is wow. Not, How long ago was this? When, when was this? This was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, almost, almost two weeks ago. And where uh, did you drive to? What, what neighboring country did you go to? Uh, we ended up going to Moldavia. Uh, and from there, from there you flew out. And then from there to Romania, and then from Romania to Israel. Uh, we spent time in all those places helping people that were coming through the border. Um, but the, the trip, uh, we went actually on the way, we stopped in, in Hadich in, by the oil of the Altareba, Balatanya, which is an hour and a half drive from our home on a regular, on a normal day. 
um, and we happened to have to go through that way. So we stopped off over there. It took us five hours to get there. So that mm. an hour and a half drive took us five hours. Um, and then from there, we continued on south to, to the Moldavian border. Um, when it got dark, uh, there was curfew. But when we got to the, to the uh, post, the stop, um, the, the Ukrainian uh, soldiers told us that it was more dangerous to stop along the road and we should just continue driving. Mm. So we continued driving literally from 6 o'clock in the morning, Thursday morning, until um, 12 o'clock around when we got through the border on Friday, um, 30 hours, almost 30 hours driving straight, nonstop without sleep. I joked with my wife and I said that our car turned into a Tesla because I have no idea how it was just driving on its own. You never filled it with gas? What's that? You never had to, you never filled it with gas? We had, we took along gas with us um, and we, we ran out almost exactly when we got to the one gas station near Moldavia border that was still open and still had gasoline. It was literally Ashkafa Pratis. Wow, um, miracles, real miracles. Yeah. Unbelievable. So this is an image and a picture. What you're describing is something that in our lifetime, most of us have never thought of or seen. And, and I never should. Yeah, never should. And it's reminiscent and it takes us back, of course, to too many periods of Jewish history of Jews on the run and leaving the Russians behind and fleeing for their lives. Um, Rabbi Levitansky, what would you say, though, you know, to, to let's say in America, people are spectators to this by watching the news. So you go on a website and you check in the Jewish news sources, non-Jewish news sources. And, you know, I'll tell you my perspective. What's what's um, challenging is that um, at first, you know, it was it pulled the heartstrings. Everybody was very concerned and worried. People opened up their wallets and they did what they could to help. And what seems to be is just every day it's the same news. Um, it's not, I'm sure, the same situation. If you're in Ukraine, you know what's happening and the difference and the resistance and the bombs. And we know that certain places targeted with children unimaginably. you know. But from us, the headline is still, the Ukrainians are stalling the Russians. There are talks, more children, innocent people murdered. You know, repeat as the same thing each day. So you know, God forbid there should never be fatigue from such a story. It should be every day we should wake up with an angst and an anger and an eagerness to contribute, to give, to do, to help. Um, from your perspective, as somebody who lives there, lived there, may go back there, or is planning to go back there and still is concerned for the people there, where do you see what's been going on? Where are we now? And what do you think is going to happen next? What will happen to the 330 Jews who, who are behind? You know, we've, the Jewish community has been called on. Most of our resources are going into helping relocate people and the refugees. But the idea that there are people still there and, and what they may need and how do we know the money is really getting to them and what will it help them do and what do they need and how can we help them? Okay. Um, again, a very loaded question. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I, I want to clear a couple of things. I've been living in Ukraine for 17 years, more than 17 years now. And Baruch Hashem, I have not had any incident of anti-semitism um people respect me in the street people come to me and ask me you know father please bless me bless my produce i walk from the shul to my from my home to the shul through the marketplace there are thousands of people there especially shabbos sunday my kids walk through the streets on their own with their yarmulkes 
there's absolutely no issue. We have a, a menorah up every Hanukkah in the square. The mayor comes, the governor comes to light the menorah. It's there all Hanukkah. Nobody touches it. Nobody bothers us in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand this because a lot of us have this uh, this notion that Ukrainians are anti-Semites. And I'm not saying that there aren't anti-Semites in Ukraine. There, there are all over the world. Um, and, and our history in Ukraine for more than a thousand years, they didn't have suffered there throughout. So there's no question about that. Um, on the other hand, they today, it's not that way. And these people are people just like any other country, any other nation. As, as Yidin, we, we are the first ones to understand what it means when, when another country comes in or another government comes in and decides that they want to, you know, they want, they want you out or they want you to, to oblige to what they decided they, you need to do. Um, it's something that shouldn't happen, especially in 2022, to, to imagine that something like this could happen is just, it's, it's unfathomable. It's important, that, uh, it's important what you're saying because there definitely is a reaction. I've heard it. I gave a drusha the first Shabbos after the invasion, the, the war began. And I talked about that, that they're innocent human beings. And it's not only because you get a lot of emails and correspondence about helping the Jews in Ukraine. And as Jews, of course, we prioritize our family. That's our first focus. But we right. also care about all innocent people. And there were several people who gave me pushback, you know, not conceptually to what I had said, but they said, you know, my mother who was beaten and who was deported and who was handed to the nazis with collaborators the ukrainians who were ukrainians were worse than the nazis she would uh, say they got what's coming to them or let russia and ukraine kill each other they've both been terrible to the jews throughout the years so the first-hand account that you're giving having lived there for 17 years is a very important one that says don't forget or erase our history but also don't um hold the current generation necessarily accountable who may not share those same anti-Semitic sentiments. Correct. Um, and I must say that the Ukrainians today have been very welcoming to Eden, very welcoming um, in all different ways. So again, they're, and these people are innocent people. They are not the ones who were torturing and murdering our, our grandparents. Um, my grandfather, Allah was, uh, you know, was in Varsha when, when the Nazis came in and carpet bombed Varsha. He escaped the war in Poland. I can tell you today when we crossed, one of the most impressive things for me was when we crossed into the border in Moldavia and then again into Romania. And then when I flew back to Poland, there are people standing on the streets with signs like, you know, greeting people at the airport. And in English, in Russian, free apartment, um, food, food, money, SIM cards for your phone. People are just standing there ready to give. These are the countries that, that are, I mean, we know them in history as not the kindest uh, people. Uh, but the roles, the roles have changed. Again, I, you know, you want to say it's the times of Mashiach. You want to say it's, uh, it, you know, the world changed, that democracy changed, whatever it is, it's irrelevant to see uh, the openness of people. I'm not even talking, the Jewish community is at the top of the list because they have come out in support, incredible 
from around the world. I can tell you that within within my city, um, I, I was doing some when the first week that I was there, we were helping with the volunteer the volunteer community basically, which is made up of everybody. And one of the priests in the city um, who knows me, he was telling me that he is telling his community that the miracles that we're seeing, and he meant the fact that the that the Russian army didn't completely destroy everybody within the first day or two or three. Um, he said, you know, the miracles that we're seeing are miracles that are only in the Bible. That's what he tells me. Wow. And he said, and the reason why we're seeing such miracles happen to us is because Jewish people around the world are praying for us. And they're, they're going on Twitter and Facebook and watching the response from the Jewish community around the world. <coughs> this is a, a priest telling me. Uh, a Ukrainian Orthodox priest. Um, again, these are the people who who are the biggest anti-Semites, so to say. You know, the, the ones who are who are characterized as the you know that they they hate the Jewish people, etc. He is himself coming to say that it's the schus of the prayers of the Yidden around the world that's keeping us safe. What a comment. Um, this is this is an incredible thing to, to see and to watch. Um, I can tell you that the people within the community, the Yidden that, that I have to do with on a daily basis, they they were watching. I got a, a video from a friend of mine from a school in Crown Heights, um, a few hundred boys reading Kapitel Chaf. You know, it's a 40 second video and I sent it to my community and they posted it. It went viral and people were sitting and watching this for hour again and again and again and again. They were saying, this is what's giving us. This is what's, you know, knowing that these kids are davening for us. That's what's, you know, that's what keeps us strong. That's so tell us, are, are, are you in touch with your community still? How they have internet access? Are you, what's up? Um, email? How are you in touch besides, with them? And what are they telling you on the ground is happening for them right now? So besides for a couple of days when, when the Russian Air Force bombed our electricity and uh, water, etc., and it took them time to get it back up. But other than that, uh, Baruch Hashem, for small favors, um, the, the electricity, water, and uh, internet pretty much uh, going are on. Um, we're in touch with our community every day. We have uh, what we call Kolol Teira, which is a group of about 25 men that would come every day, every morning to Davin and to learn for an hour. Um, and they get uh, a stipend for for coming but this became like a re very close knit our like our active community um and then we have a group of about 35 women that come once a week also for shiurim so those shiurim because of covid um one of the blessings of covid got us onto zoom and was able we were able to get uh, tablets and um, smartphones for, for the older people that don't know what they're doing and how to use it mm -hmm. Um, and basically, most of our community is uh, connected on Zoom. I just just before we got on, I finished the share for thirty. We had twenty nine women, twenty nine out of thirty five women that got on, and they were in seven different countries. Wow. Um, a, a, a large part of them are still in Sumi, and they come together every week for the share. We were in touch with them the whole time. 
people uh, are not afraid. They're, they're able to go out of their houses they're able is there supermarkets that are open that they could shop in is the shul functioning still uh the shul is functioning mainly as a place where they're helping people so people can come for help during the day on most days um from about six seven in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon it's safe to walk around in the city um there's no transportation so it's mainly for people who are able to to get around uh the older people who are stuck at home are the ones who are suffering the most and we have a group of volunteers again because of covid we had this all beforehand as well it just wasn't as often um, now we have a group of volunteers who go go to all these homes to deliver food packages, medicines, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, whatever is needed. The right. supermarkets um, already before I left even were already were empty. Right. Um, the only thing that's available is uh, local local produce or uh, milk, um, bread, things that they that are made uh, fresh on the spot. Uh, you know, for that day, and even that is rationed between, um, you know, between people. Again, because we have a volunteer community and we're part of the volunteer services, we're able to get for all of these um, elderly people who are stuck at home. So that's how we're helping them while they're there. And also the bank system is still working um, electronically. And most of these people have uh, credit cards or debit cards. And we're able to send money to them directly on their debit card. They're able to go to the stores or to the pharmacy and get, if there is something there to get, they're able to, they're, they are able to buy. So, so people, I imagine people problem. aren't, especially the older people, but people aren't working. They're not drawing an income. They don't have money. Yeah. So where, where can people who want to contribute and want to be able to help put money on debit cards? Where can they give? Um, I can, I don't know how you post over here. Yeah. Um, you talk but, to me. I can share. Uh, you can share um, any any of our links. Either Chabad Sumi at gmail.com is our PayPal, which is the best way because there's no there are no fees or anything, and uh, every every penny of your of your donation will go directly to, you know. Oh, there you go. Um, and then there are a couple of um, funds that are raising funds for for communities all over ukraine ukraine is a large country there are 34 34 cities with uh, with shluchim and some of the cities the bigger cities have very very large communities and 10 10 or twenty thousand people um many of these people did not leave i i don't know what the percentages are exactly but uh from our side of ukraine from the northern side of ukraine I think it's more like uh, 25 or maybe 30% of the people um, left and most of them are still are still stuck behind and those people need they need a lot of help. Um, being in a bomb shelter is not a pretty sight, even just uh, saying on a regular night when the sirens go off and you need to go down to the bomb shelters, these bomb shelters are there from the times of the Second World War and they haven't been touched since then. Wow. So you can imagine what kind of what, what, what kind <laughs> of a, a um, place that is for somebody to go to with their children sure. if they have children. Sure. So let me ask you. We're we're running out of time. We really appreciate the time you're giving us and, and the update that you're sharing with us. 
Uh, first of all, you, you have plans to go back? Do you know when or how you'll get back? Um, I have plans to go back to Poland for now. Um, also planning to be either in Poland or in Germany or somewhere where there are a lot of uh, refugees for Pesach. Uh, although I, I didn't decide exactly where. Um, I'll be there already with my family, hopefully. Um, I myself am going back to Poland because that's the best place for me right now to be by the border to, to see people coming in and to also send humanitarian aid, food, medicine back to Sumi. It's a thousand kilometers um, and it's a very difficult drive. So it's wow. not an easy thing to do and not everybody's agreeable to do it. Um, it's, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of Siata uh, Dishmaya. Wow. Uh, to get to to get all the way to the end of the line and actually have sure. something left to give out. So let's yeah, let, let's end the way we should have began, which is what brought you to the Ukraine? Where did you grow up? You sound like you uh do not have a Ukrainian accent. And and what brought you 17 years ago to Ukraine? I grew up in Simchamanaka, California. My father was the second Shliach sent by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to the state of California. Um, so I grew up uh, pretty much on Shlichus. Um, our home was not a private home. We grew up helping people on a daily basis. That's that's how we grew up. Uh, when I was a uh, Bachar in Yeshiva, we were sent, uh, a group of us were sent to Kharkov, Ukraine, which had just opened up. This was in um, 90, 1995. The end of 1994, 1995, uh, for two years we spent there um, building up the Shiva in Kharkov, Ukraine. And I got to know the language a little bit, and I also got to know the people. And I must tell you that the Yidin, especially then and, and now as well, the Jews who are in Ukraine are thirsty to learn about Yiddishkeit. To see somebody go from zero or minus to learning in yeshiva within a, you know within a year or two years is incredible wow. it's an unbelievable feeling um people are are very passionate they they want to see they want to see ms they they understand when they see that this is true they want it right um and um when it was after i got married uh, there was a opportunity to move to sumi and I said, uh, I'm in. okay, I know, I know where this is. Um, although it's, it's not Kharkov, it's a, literally a Pinani Dachas, um, far flung corner, middle of nowhere, farmland. Uh, we go to the, to the farm to milk the cows, to have Halvi Israel. We bake our own bread. Um, we joke that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in America is the simplest thing to slap together. And by us, it's one of the most difficult. You make the jelly, you make the peanut butter and you make the bread and then you, you know, you can put it together. Um, but all of that, uh, doesn't, you know, I know people in America think that that's the Mesidus Nefesh. It's, it's not the, the real Mesidus Nefesh is at least for me or the most difficult thing for us at this point was actually picking up and leaving mm. and thinking that we're leaving people behind. And the only reason why we did it was because we felt that that's going to help us help them better. Right. Um, so Baruch Hashem, we're able to do that. And 
Well, I want to thank you for your mysterious nefesh, your selflessness and your sacrifice for Jewish people and uh, what you're doing. Um, people can also give in Chabad.org. They have a donate button for Ukraine to help right. these other communities. Um, and Hashem should just bless you with continued strength, safety, security, and the ability to help the Jews there. And we will all uh, stay posted. We're davening hard, and I hope we're giving generously. And please, God, we won't have to all do it for much longer. And uh, people can have safety and security. Ultimately, Hashem could bring us all together from the four corners Amen. of Ukraine and Boca, and we'll meet in Yerushalayim and welcome Mashiach together. Amen. All right. Thank you. Really special to hear uh, from a Rav who is selflessly sacrificing right now, not back, but he's ready to go back. He's running not away. He's ready to run back to the problem and to shepherd and take care of his flock and not leave them behind. And as he said, the only reason he left was he thought he could take care of them better from the outside than the inside. But, uh, you know, Brody, we're, we're watching from a distance. And like I said right. before and even during the interview, we've sort of grown tired of the story because it doesn't seem to change. But we can't afford to grow tired. There are older people who are who are locked in at home and who can't get food. Only a small fraction of his tiny community is left. They're still there. And um, they, they don't have access to an income. They don't have access to basic necessities. And they need help. You heard him describe thousands of dollars to bribe people yeah. and they wouldn't take the money. So, uh, you know, everyone should dig deep, continue to dig deep. We've dug deep already and continue to dig deep. And whether it's United Hatzalah, whether it's the Chabad efforts, efforts. Uh, OU is putting together some uh, collaborations in communities across the country, but everyone should dig deep and, and do what they can. One of the things he said, he said, imagine you have an hour and you look at your home and you've got to run. What do you take with you? Would only would only whatever fits in your car other than your family? Rabbi Josh Brody, what are you putting in that car? It's it's a great question. Um, putting in your Dafyomi yeah, Gemara. The Dafyomi. Yeah, yeah, I guess you know what's strange is that I think before uh, before we just moved again this past summer, you know, I was trying to think ahead and, and, and trying to plan for for hopefully an eventual move to Israel and, and and what's important and what's not important. You know, you take your furniture, you can buy new furniture somewhere. You know, you take your pictures with you. Well, I just scanned all my pictures. That was an earlier behind the beam. I got them all. So you know, it comes down to what 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 can't what can what can you what can't you take? I mean, most stuff today we could we could digitize it, carry it on my phone. I got my whole my whole learning takes place on my phone. It's a good question. I, I don't know. I guess you take your family. That's it. You take that's what that's all that matters is your family. You take your family. Is that all that matters? I mean, there are things that are sentimental. Um, like what? Well, obviously, you know, there's articles of clothing that are sentimental. There are Judaica and antiques from family. Um, you know, they're all yeah, kinds of Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I don't, I, you have maybe it's because most of the stuff truck. in our house is, is still in boxes. It's like, I don't, I don't even know what that, where, where or what that is. It's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, so, you know, what is that? We have, thing, we have things that are sentimental. So... For me, it's pictures. I love photographs, and we have such old photographs. And thank God they're on my phone now. So it's you know, or old movies, and we've uploaded them. So we, we have pictures, copies. family. Right, that used to be the go-to thing, right? It used right. to be that you bring your family, you get your tefillin, right. and you go get your and you go get your albums. Right. Um, but there are there there are sentimental, and I guess you know we determine what matters most. What are you going to fit in your car? Your golf clubs, your tennis racket. Do you have clothing? Right. Your wedding dress, your wedding suit. Is there are there svarim? For me. You know that yeah. I have a big study at home filled with Sfarim. I wish I learned them and knew them, but I have an emotional relationship. Almost every Sefer, I've got hundreds and hundreds of Sfarim. 
almost every safer I could tell you what age I was, where you where got I it. bought it or got it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them were bought in Yavna, Grus Kolel, long before Manny's. Before Manny's was in Manny's used to come to the yeshiva. Manny's used to come to the yeshiva. That's how Manny's began. Right. He used to the, he had crates and he you know piled them back, in the back of back of, a, of his car. Back of his car and he pulled up into the yeshiva. Yeah, anyone anyone watching remember this? Put in the comments what yeshiva you went to. You remember Manny's coming, unloading the crates, yeah. selling the sfarim. There was no credit card. You had to pay in shekel cash. Um, I gave haircuts in the dorm. I had a few extra shekel for spending money and, and would buy from Manny's. You say every safer I have, there's an emotional connection. I remember where I got it, how I got it, when I got it. But is it a Seder plate, a Kiddush cup, a menorah? Like I said, an article of clothing. Right. But, you know, we, we, we can't imagine that. We don't want to think about that. Right. It, it almost seems unimaginable. And then all of a sudden you see it on the news. There are three yeah. and a half or four million people that are leaving their country with nothing yeah. but the clothes on their back in a suitcase. Yeah. For Rabbi Levitansky, it was real. It wasn't right. theoretical. It wasn't what would you bring. It's what did he bring. Right. And then drive and navigate and go on your own. It's scary. Right. It's and scary. I think for so many of these people, they, they have to make the decision. Is it sentimental things? Like you said, the Kiddush cup or this farm? Or is it clothing or maybe some food? Because I don't know right. where I'm going to be able to change my clothes or, or buy new clothes or get new food. Who, you know? And I can't bring the sentimental base. thing because I got no room for it. Yeah. Tufshin Pei Base 2022 and Jews are packing their car having to decide, do I put more loaves of bread or cans of tuna or clothing or right. svarim? And uh, you, you wouldn't believe. You just, you just absolutely would not believe or think that we're still having to decide that today. It's impossible. Impossible to believe that. So it's a it's an ongoing story, and we can't tire of it. We can't be done with it until it's done, and everyone has to continue to give and do. And um, I saw, and they continue. saw some some beautiful beautiful uh, videos that just came out. Um, I think it was from Rabbi Brander where he where they sent some some people there to read the Megillah for children, and they brought costumes. So it wasn't just that these children are not hearing the Megillah, but yeah. these little children wearing like you know the the the, the Queen Esther costumes. You know the Achashverosh costumes, and then listening to Megillah being read, and right, it's just beautiful. It's right, yeah, yeah. My sister and my nephew—I don't remember whether we had a behind the bima since then. They volunteered with United Hatzal. They went to Moldova, and they on the border stayed for a couple days. They helped load a plane of refugees to bring to Israel. But my sister was describing watching over that border. She said it was like a scene from Fiddler on the Roof. Right, people coming with a package on their back and with a cane, women with their children. They couldn't bring their husbands who were being held behind in Ukraine to stay and fight. And it's just, it's a scene people our age never saw or thought of. And uh, to think that we're seeing it again right now. I don't know, could we be doing more? Should we be doing more? The countries outside of uh, outside of Ukraine? It's a, it's a big question. It's a big question. But uh, we have the privilege now of welcoming our dear friend, Rabbi Yaakov Gibber. Rabbi Gibber finally is behind the Bima with us. What's going on, guys? Three years. I would say, Rabbi Gibber, you want to turn your phone sideways. We'll see the whole picture. This is evidence that we are a live show streaming to you right now. I don't know if you're on your phone, your laptop, but don't don't stress yourself out too much. But Rabbi Gibber is more than just our friend and our colleague. He's a brother, and uh, we are one, and we work incredibly close together. Rabbi Gibber, we're just talking about, we, we just spoke to Rabbi Levitansky, Ukraine. He had an hour to pack his car and take whatever from his house he could and hit the road. He drove from the border of Russia all the way to the other side, out through Poland, Romania, uh, to take his family to safety, security, and freedom. So wow. he said, "If you look, you look at your house. You've got one hour. What are you putting in that car? Are you putting your kids, your family? You're gonna throw your talus and tefillin? 
what else is going in? Wow, you're asking good questions. What a what a meaningful interview. What an amazing opportunity to hear right from the border, right, right where the action is. And of course, our hearts and our and our thoughts and our tefillos are with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Before we get to that, I just want to tell you how honored I am to be here. My brothers, what a chance to be able to share and to tell all of your listeners and your viewers just how lucky each and every one of you every single week are to hear this incredible quality <laughs> programming. Yeah. And the BRS community and the BRS global community, you have the yes. literally the, the number one best, most yeah, articulate. Yeah, yeah, Rabbi Rabbi He's talking about you, by the way. The sidekicks and <laughs> Rabbi and Gerber, Rabbi, Rabbi Brody's, Brody's mother Brody. actually, Rabbi Brody's mother actually believes what you're saying, but nobody else does. But we appreciate, we appreciate it very much. And it, it's amazing, it's amazing to be together. And there's a lot to talk to you about. Uh, we probably talk every day and work together so closely, but we don't do it behind the bima here in Boca. And, you know, we've, we've shared with our audience, we concluded the global campaign. People know the Boca, the BRS staff and our closeness and how we work together. But they don't necessarily appreciate that in Boca. It's not just the Boca's own synagogue, Robunum or staff. It's our greater community. That's why we won the Unity Prize uh, that you were both at. Uh, I wasn't able to go. But, um, but on a regular basis, we're tackling things. We're talking together. We're working on things together. Um, which really is a great privilege and an honor. So Rabbi Gira is the Rav of the Boca Jewish Center. Rabbi Gira, how, how big is the Boca Jewish Center and how much has it exploded in the last two years from New York, California, and elsewhere? People are, are pouring down. I will just say this. I've been here a long time. That's why I'm gray and the other two rabbis look very young right now. I've been here a long time. And for as long as I can remember, the only Shomer Shabbos family in Boca Grove were the Rants. Amazing. There were other families, maybe other Shomer Shabbos families. I don't want to. I don't want to say, but but really, one or two families. What percentage now, Boca Grove, are Shomer Shabbos? How big has your shul exploded? And is it true that you play at least eighteen holes a day? <laughs> that last part is not true. As much as a, a wishful, hopeful, idealistic every other day goal that might be. I'm really not that good at golf. I'm very good for the golf ball business. So anybody who would like to invest in the golf ball business with me, I'm very happy to go golfing with you. Um, but but I think it's fair to say that th this whole area, Boca Raton, the South Florida corridor, I mean, we have seen a massive, massive influx of uh, of not just families and numbers, but but quality, amazing families who are who are you know here to, to make Boca their home. I mean, we you know we started a number of years ago with very humble beginnings, as, as you both know so well, and. You know, now, Baruch Hashem, we have just over 260 families and growing. And our community and, and you know, the, the whole Boca Raton community is just exploding. And it's 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 extraordinary because it's not just like one type. It's so many types. And it's the vibrancy and it's the diversity that, you know, that you celebrate at BRS and that we celebrate at BJC and that we celebrate that, that actually your viewers and listeners should know is that we're always behind the beam. Actually, you and I, as you say, we speak nearly every day. And I'm this spoil from, from you and learn from you both. But everybody should know that we have a BRSBJC equals unity. And it's extraordinary that we have that. But but I think oh, that's part of what's right. brought so many people to our community, our community, like our shared community, it's extraordinary. And it's fast moving and it's growing like an avalanche and, and, a, and an unbelievable thing to see at a rapid pace. So it's it's extraordinary, it's exhilarating, it's, it's exhausting, but it's mostly exhilarating and wonderful and wondrous for us all. What's been the hardest part of that, that? Going, growing so fast and so quickly in such big numbers, what are the opportunities that's presented for you and what's what's the hard part about yeah. that? Look, you know, like you, you know, you're, you're focused on on the, on the individuals. You know, you want to build bonds, kshara and relationships, 
I'm a relationship person. Both of you are, are relationship people. I know Ben Moskowitz prides himself on, on building relationships. You know, when it's happening so fast, especially when, when the, the massive, you know, growth spurt happened during COVID, you really couldn't connect to people the same way. So that's a massive challenge. And, you know, you're kind of, you're hoping and, and, and doing everything program programmatically and, and giving shiurim, trying to grow, you know, the community. And on one hand, you, know, you, you celebrate that growth, but you, you never want to lose that personal, close, tight-knit touch that, you know, that's your trademark, that's your hallmark, that's your vision, that's your, you know, your goal. You're in the rabbinate. We both are. We all are really to touch lives and to, to you know, to move the needle, to inspire. You know, I, there's an incredible story um, that if I could share for just a moment that really inspired my Rabbanis, there's so many people that have touched and inspired my life. My, my father, my family, my mother. I know a Bubby that I was very, very close to. Of course, my wife is my rock, my my Aishas Chayel, and, and our community, our members. But I, but I, I think you both know that for a short period of time, I was I was running, a, I was heading a program in Asia Torah. And, and contingency uh, to my hire was that I should have a chavrusa once a week with Rav Noach Weinberg, it was extraordinary. And and to my chagrin, actually now in hindsight, there was a period of time when I was, you know, after I was offered the position and I was offered to have this opportunity, I actually nearly didn't take the position. I felt, wow. you know, I, I didn't want to be indoctrinated with with new philosophies. I had a mahalach. I felt like I was doing just fine. You know, you're, you're, you're an amateur. You're a little, you know, a little. You're a rookie. You know, you don't know everything. So with with persuasive, better judgment, and I and I credit my father and my family for that. So I, so I took the position, and I had an opportunity once a week to learn with Rav Noach, and we learned officially Derech Hashem. And one of the programs that I was officially in charge of was the Essentials program. For those of you who are familiar, you know, it's like the Aisha Torah drop-in program, which I really didn't know much about. It's there that you learn how to say, you know, Aaron and Tabernacle and Moses, and you know, you kind of. Th- thread that. So the very first Monday morning that I was like going to, you know, head this program, I felt like the best way for me to know about the program was to give a class, to give a share in the program. So I gave myself, I slotted myself in the 9 a.m., you know, class and I get there and lo and behold, there's one student that's there. So like, I don't know, little arrogant young professor, here you go, front of the class, what do you do? So I canceled the class. I felt like uh, one person, nah, I give, I give a free pass. I canceled the class. So that was on a Monday, uh, on a, on on a Wednesday. The next uh, two days later, I, I hear I was in the in the you know in the lunchroom, and I hear like there was a Jerusalem fellowships there, which I didn't know much about even. But there was Jerusalem fellowships, and I hear like the thunderous roar of a shear that was given. Rav Noah Weinberg is giving a shear. He's giving a talk, and he was thundering, and he was excited, he was enthusiastic, he was literally lit on fire. And I thought like, wow, I got to see this. I look in, and there's literally one person sitting <laughs> in the room and I could not believe how animated, how charismatic, how passionate, sweating he was like into it. The next day, Thursday was my chavrus with him. He looks me straight in the face. He takes the derech Hashem, he flips it closed and he looks me in the eyes and it piercing, if you ever saw Rav Noach, like pierced like right through my skull. It says, kol matzal nefesh achas kilu kol matzal nefesh achas kilu he said, you understand what I'm saying? One person, that person is going to marry, that person is going to have children, that person is going to have more children, that person is going to have a family. One person is an entire world, and you can't cancel a class for one person. It like ripped all the gaiva, all of the arrogance. And from that, I have to tell you, you know, growing a shul that has very humble beginnings, we had like 27, 28 families, like officially at the time, 
And that was even, you know, that, that's even Bakoshi. But to sit, you know, with one person and two people in small numbers, but to invest, I often thought and draw from that, whether it's a larger crowd or a smaller crowd, it's really irrelevant to me. It's, it's the, the quality of the person and the quality of, of the relationship. Story. And that's really inspired me, Mega. So what would I take with me? I would take these memories. I would take these thoughts. I would take out photographs around my house of, you know, with Gedolim, Rabbanim, you know, with Rav Chaim, and my children, those pictures. That's a perfect opportunity for us to pivot to Rav Chaim because, you know, I mentioned earlier, the last time I was at Rav Chaim was with you, Rabbi Gibber. We went to Israel for a beautiful right. wedding. That's right. The Rand's beautiful wedding. And speaking of the Rand's, and uh, we landed and we went, I think we went straight, we straight, did. straight, from, we straight did. from the airport to Bnei Brak and um, right to Rav Chaim. You had arranged it and I'm grateful to you until now for that a few moments we each had and, and together and separately with uh, with Rav Chaim. So Rav Chaim, you know, everyone's trying to capture in their own words and, and make sense of how do you communicate and articulate his greatness? What does it mean? We have Gedoli Israel, we have Bikim and Shas, we have people who know an enormity of Torah, who are authorities in, in Jewish law and halacha, but Rav Chaim was different. He was the Sar HaTorah. He was you know, my brother said, and I quoted him on Shabbos, Rav Chaim was the greatest repository of Torah on earth. He was more accurate and faster than computers. His fluency in Torah, the totality of Torah, the Siyam made on Torah. It was occurring to me today, and, and I saw already that Rav Lubyansky had a beautiful article in this week's Mishpach about Rav Chaim as the Kodesh HaKadoshim of the Mishkan. Behind the parochas, inaccessible, but yet from there emanates the light, the Kedusha, as he, only he can write. A really beautiful article. But it was occurring to me about Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim carried the Jewish world on his shoulders, but he did it in the most unusual way. We think today of the influencers and we think about the people who are public personalities and celebrities. Reb Chaim was not photogenic. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't an orator or a speaker. He wasn't a storyteller. He wasn't a Rav. He wasn't a Rosh Hashiva. He wasn't, he didn't check off any of these boxes. Mm. None of the boxes Right? He wasn't on social media. Uh, I think uh, someone shared with me the, an interview with, with, with his son who said that Rav Chaim used the phone twice in his life. One was his son had surgery in America and he called to see if it was okay. There was a second time. He, he was not from this world. He was not from this world. So he doesn't check off any of those boxes and, and yet he was holding the world on his shoulders with his learning, with his knowledge, with his diligence, with all of that. So Rabbi Gibber, I know you'd been there many times. You arranged that last visit when I was with you. What did Rav Chaim mean to you? And what does his loss mean to you and to us? So I appreciate that question deeply. Um, you know, obviously we've all been like thrust into this like abysmal place of, of reflection and really trying to measure the cataclysmic loss. Very, very difficult. I spoke about it, Chabas, in our community as well. Um, largely, you know, sharing a lot of personal experiences um, I've been literally browsing through pictures, which I'm so thankful and feel so blessed that I have of my children when they were very little and young. And, you know, as recently as my, my second son's bar mitzvah, I took both of my, my sons um, when they uh, put on the tefillin for their Hanukkah's tefillin, and he put the tefillin on my sons, you know, for the very first time as part of, you know, the, the bracha and just experiencing and examining that. You know, it, it, it's it, like you said so eloquently, as you always do, it, it, a repository of Kedusha. He like was a link to a generation before. He was a link to European, you know, Jewry and, and Torah giants, the Chazon Ish, his, his father, Yashiv, and, you know, just obviously his own father, the Stipler Gon, and, and the many others. But it's his simplicity and, and his erudite in the sense of just 
the the learning and the intensity and the you know the magnitude of his hasmada. It, it's just like his hasmada was unbelievable. But I, but there's another very visceral um, kind of reflection that I that I keep holding on to very very strongly, and, and I'm, I'm struggling so much to try to hold on to these. You know, the, the thought of, you know, being able to have taken my, my two older sons to, to, you know, see him and the many times that I've had this to be there and ask Shilas and just be in his, his Dalit Amos. And, and it's so difficult for me to think about my younger sons and my younger children who, who won't have that chance. And it's, it's, it was painful. My, my, my third son was crying, really, and very emotional that he's not going to have that chance. Thankfully, mm -hmm. I was able to take him when he was very young, so we're going to you know, reflect on that. But there's one very visceral experience that I had that I'm really holding on to. And I, I went a number of times ago with a, with a fairly complicated Shiloh from shul-related, you know, Shiloh. And I knew that there was a lot of details to it. In fact, so many details that the clearest a way for me to share the Shiloh was actually to share a video. It was about like some structure and a machitz related Shiloh and some you know technology and just some components of it. You know that's not necessary for now, but it was complicated and it was layered and it was it was complex. And I didn't have an easy way of explaining it to him because as we all know, like he as he said didn't use a phone but twice in his life and certainly wasn't watching videos. So as I was preparing to enter into the inner you know sanctuary. I was in her chambers, so I, like I was a little mindless about you know that, and I was thinking you know wow I'm just going to show him this video, and it was it was a <laughs> it was a video of a, it was a Shiloh with all the dimensions and components, and and, and of course his grandson and his gabayim said you know that not only you know there's certain um, whether it's a watch or a brim up or various other other specifics you're not bringing a video, you're not bringing your phone into, into Rav Chaim. So right away I had to go into like emergency mode and I had to like just download into my mind and then to share this with the Gabbai so it should be an exquisite Hebrew that he should like understand the nuances of the show. I was like, you know, as comfortable as I am in Hebrew, which of course isn't as comfortable as, as, as most. So like I had to make sure that in a vernacular that would be clearly able to share. So I was able to do that. But here's what happened. Because it was layered, and because it would have been shorter to show the video actually in little... You know how much time you had in there it ranged from like a half a millisecond to a, to a buha to if you had three minutes or five minutes that's like a long time that's a really right. really long time so i actually in at, at this occasion you know i i i was able to be in there for what seemed to be like an eternity it was actually like 20 25 minutes because till they explained it until they got all the details until he asked questions until he was understanding it it would have been a lot faster if I would have shown the video. And thankfully right. for that experience, it actually took a long time. But here's the best part. And this is the visceral, the optics that I'm like really holding on to. And it's, it's actually a little emotional for me when I think about it. Because when I, because you know, when you went, when I went in and when we'd go in, see, you'd, you'd, you'd take the hand of the goggle and you'd give a kiss to the hand of the goggle. And I would hold on to the hand, uh, Rav Chaim. And we'd hold on to the hand throughout, throughout the time. But because the Shiloh was taking such a long time, I ended up holding his hand for like 20 minutes. It felt like 25 minutes. He didn't let go of my hand. And I certainly wasn't gonna let go of his hand. And I still feel it, it was so, so soft. It was like parched, but it was this hand that like touched Shas, Yerushalmi, Bavli, Kola Terakula, it was this hand. And I couldn't get over the fact I kept, I wasn't, I was paying attention of course, and thankful that it was, it was videoed, this whole thing. I was like watching his hand on my hand and he like didn't let go of my hand. I was, I was holding Rav Chaim's hand this, this whole time. And it's so visceral and it's so powerful for me because in, in, in that sense, 
like he's still holding our hand and we're holding mm. his hand and, and we're connected to it and we're linked to it and we're going to stay connected to it. And, and, and as we're connected to his Torah and, and his Hasmada and his Masorah and his Amkus and his Avas Yisrael and his cries for Klal Yisrael, I just see my hand holding his hand and his hand like not letting go of my hand. And I'm so thankful for that. And I, and I just, I feel thankful for that, for that, for that opportunity, for that schus. And we have to just hold on to his hand and to, what to a beautiful image. What a powerful to image. Pass it on to our children and to pass it Thank on you. to our Mispalim. So Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing that with us. Really, really moving and a beautiful, beautiful picture, a really beautiful image. Um, you know, I mentioned our community is really one community. Our our very generous sponsors tonight get hours of of the Boca Jewish Center. One of the beautiful things about Boca. There are members of BRS who are members of Boca Jewish Center, members of Boca Jewish Center, associate members of BRS. And, and in many other communities, there would be a competitiveness and a cutthroat pursuit of every new person who moved to town, who they're going to join, who's going to be their rabbi. And, and I'm, I'm sure that the people watching this don't even believe it. It looks like, you know, we're just putting this on. But there's a genuine a, a partnership and a love. It's not just us. It's with it's with Rabbi Rabovsky and the Chabad rabbis and Rabbi Light, and I don't want to leave anyone out. The, the rabbis of Boca, we we get along, we cooperate, we collaborate. We're not competing, and and we're there. We we share, we share Torah ideas, we share information, we we share resources, and it's really a very a very beautiful thing. I think, as I said tonight, sponsorship the Gnauers is just one example of it. And we're so so grateful to them. Um, but you really had the vision to solidify that. We have tremendous cooperation with. Um, our federation, Rabbi Brody, I think he's still with federation, but I don't know when he's in Boca, like once a, once a month. Um, our federation brings together all of the rabbis from all the denominations and evaluates how we can work together, fighting anti-Semitism and standing up for Israel and, and, and providing for the underprivileged and so on. And that's beautiful. We're so grateful to the federation for coordinating and collaborating that. But you had the vision, and it's been excellent. You are the founding Nasi of the Vad Harabanim of Boca Raton, with the recognition that there are now uh, enough shuls in Boca with our other mostos, our other our other schools. And while we have room to collaborate among all of the rabbis and the greater community, there are also specific topics to the Orthodox community, not as a breakaway and not as any statement to exclude, but but topics that are specific. And uh, and the Vad, you have. Um, founded it and led it with such great vision. So tell our listeners a little bit about the VAD of, of Boca. I don't think most people even know necessarily that we exist or why or what we hope to accomplish. Um, tell us a little bit about that vision that you put it together and um, what what we meet about. I mean, you don't have to get into details, gory <laughs> details, but uh, what the vision is, why, why, the, why it's an important entity, why it was time for our community to have, not Kashrus, Kashrus is handled by the ORB, but outside of Kashrus, what the role of the Vod is. Right. So first of all, I, I can't, um, you know, demonstrate not only to the viewers, but to, to really anybody and everybody who I speak to, just how thankful I feel and how enhanced and enriched my rabbinate is because of, you know, the notion that, you know, that I was told when I was entering to the Rabbonus is that the Rabbonus is a very lonely place. And, and I just, not only do I not feel that, I not I don't feel that in a very, very profound way. The, the relationships that, first of all, that we share, and by extension with our colleagues, it, it's really, it's transformative. It's made my Rabbonus stronger. I feel like I'm a better Rav because of our, our bonds and, and leaning on each other. And I think that really was the impetus for it. You know, it started officially a little over a year ago, 
um, you know, COVID was a direct hit to, to schools and to community and to have, you know, corroboration and collaboration and, and support for each other and to be able to get together and to just the schools and, and the heads of schools and, and the Rishi Yeshiva and the, the Kolel and, and Chabad, you know, it's it's really, it celebrates our, our community. And, and I think that, I think everybody would agree, you know, the, the strength of our community is really measured by the strength of the leadership in our community. And our leadership is, it's not disingenuous. It's not unauthentic. It's it's a real friendship. It's a real respect. And it doesn't mean we always agree on every issue. That's never the case in any community. But but what's unusual about our community and the real in the prize, the Israel prize, the Kalaliso prize, you know, it's something I'm I'm so proud of because the things we do talk about are things that you know percolate into the community and, and you know the establishment, for example, of, of a Hatzalah here and all of the components and details that needed to be ironed out and figured out and uh, what a celebration for our community. That wasn't simple and the rabbinic backing that was necessary. And to be able to, to muscle through that together, mostly to be able to more than just enjoy, uh, you know, a nice lunch every, every, every so often and to be able to just see each other. But I don't, I don't diminish that because what I felt supported mostly besides, you know, our incredible Balabatim, our families, my, our lay leadership in our shul, but, but nobody understands the rabbinate like the rabbonim. Nobody understands the trials, the tribulations, the highs, the lows, the pitfalls, you know, the, the emotions. You know, I, I've always said one of the things that I admire besides you as, a, as an erudite and as a Talmud Chacham, as an orator, as a scholar, as a writer, is you have the amazing ability and gift to compartmentalize, which I've learned so much from you. You, you can't do this job. You can't do this avoda without being able to do that. Who else are we able to do that better with than the people that are doing it together? So it, it really has, it, it's in many ways, you know, it's self-serving because it really gives me a chance to to have that time. And, and we all are equal partners and equal voters and equal shareholders in the VOD. And it's certainly not the propriety of anyone, certainly not myself, but I'm, I'm honored to have had any role in it and thankful that it's going to be sustained. It wouldn't exist. I love the collaboration. I'm sorry. First of all, I, I love it when there's a, a letter that needs to go out to the community or a letter that needs to be drafted and people don't realize that there's a google doc that's shared amongst all the rabbis in order to write and edit that letter so it's not just one person trying to write on behalf of everyone everyone is actually writing it together it's kind of like a drush and it's written by 25 rabbis <laughs> you should do that every week that would be great imagine if like everyone kind of puts in a little bit of effort and you just share it everyone does the same drush you know I, I would liken it to you know we just had a meeting this week and it's a little mini base medrash and the same way that in a base medrash with your chavrusa or someone else in your shear, you can go at it and you could debate and you can argue, you know, how you understand Tosos, how you understand whatever. Um, and there's, even though you're both raising your voices, you're both yelling at each other, you're both ferociously and fiercely fighting for what you think is true. And then you hug because it was never personal. It was about trying to find the truth. So our Vadar Abonim is a base medrash of communal policy. And, and, and they're, it gets it gets exciting. It gets Lebedic in there, okay. and people have different opinions. But it's it's founded with this just this love and this relationships, and that's why it's so important. Because if you didn't have that regularly getting together, and you didn't have those relationships, and you just waited for an issue to come up, so now it would feel personal. There's an issue. We disagree. What should we do? But it's not personal. It's just a base medrash of right. of people all dedicating their lives to serve Klaus Israel in our little shtetl called Boca Raton, and trying to do our part. And we're so much better off when we when we work together and speak with one voice. So when we reach consensus and we work with, work with hospitals and bikacholim rooms or a greater bikacholim, or if there is a kashras issue that we need to tackle or a or or communal standards, 
or or communicate um, a statement about what will tolerate or not tolerate as one community, all speaking with one voice. It's so much more powerful because we do it together. So it's a fun Lebedic-based medrash. And even as you said, even if we don't always all agree, you know, we go towards a consensus, and it's it's a great great addition to our community. I agree. I agree. It's it's wondrous. It's wonderful. We could use uh, the, we could use a lunch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I tried to lie. change it up this week. This week was a little different, but, but you did. It was great. And the truth is, how can I say anything? You are the generous host. Every as the you have been hosting us until we rotate the sponsorship of the of the uh, lunch. I have no right to say anything, but you know we'll get there. We'll get there in year two and three. We have, we have we have room to go. Rabbi Gibber, hours getting late. We're so grateful to your time, your friendship, your partnership. We're, we see you're back back in the bunker for behind the bima. It is great. It is great. <laughs> it's the bunker. I, I don't think the people watching this understand that we had, you know, it was us and others throughout Corona. We had like endless zooms. That's why we're making fun. The bunker, right? <laughs> like, you know, we had endless zooms to just discuss and and dive into and figure out policies and what. To, and it was it was coordinated, and uh, we could be proud of that. Something yeah. really nice about our community, and I don't, I don't know that we'd be this destination people are moving towards. It's not just there's no state income tax. It's not just we have nice weather, and it's not just that we've had um, different types of uh, and what many consider to be better policies to be able to to live a normal life. But I think they're also coming to a community, and they're they may not know it, but when they get here, they love the the unity they find. I'll I'll just say one your member one one anecdote is Ambassador David Friedman um, said to me. I was talking to him here in Boca. I think he's right. He's in Boca Grove. He's part of your shul. His kids are his kids are part of your shul. Yep. He said. He said. You know, he, he wasn't a politician his whole life. He was the ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Israel. He said, when I go to a community, I like to dig up the politics. You know, what do they think about the rabbi? What do the rabbis think about each other? He goes, it's so depressing here in Boca. Every shul loves their rabbi, and each of the rabbis love each other. And there's no politics. It's such a boring place. And that was the greatest compliment. The greatest compliment Great. you could give. I'll tell you something happened today. I just met someone who said they, their brother or sister just moved into Boca. I said, great, where'd they move to? East Boca, West Boca is in the center. They said, they don't remember. They just know that that the, the, the brother became friends with Ben Shapiro. So I said, well, that could be either show. <laughs> we don't know. It's Boca Grove. It's Boca, Boca Grove. Grove. It's, it's Boca Raton. It's Boca Raton because where we are, Boca whether Raton. you're in the bunker, whether you're behind the Bima, Wherever you are, you're just you're just in Boca Raton, and and we know this. It's been the best kept secret forever, but now the best kept secret is out, and and it has so much to do with with you know the people that have planted the seeds and have maintained and the high level of leadership and and the, the, oh, the greatest Hashem. rabbi in America, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. And, no, and no, no, not even close. Your, your Let's and, end quick lightning round. You ready? Your favorite Jewish holiday? My favorite Jewish holiday. My favorite Jewish holiday. I love Hanukkah, but I also love Pesach, not because it's just coming up, but I love Hanukkah. Hanukkah is great. Everybody's home. Boys are home from the yeshiva. It's Lebedic. It's it's joyous. But favorite Pesach, safer. The same What's way. your favorite safer right now? Favorite safer right now? I'm really, really loving Rav Druk on the Parsha H. Tamid. I mean, that booked book line and sinker. Um, Fantastic. Favorite song? Favorite Jewish song right now? Favorite Jewish song? Ike Faldig. Yishai Rebo. I mean, I'm, I'm into. My daughter just sent me a new Yishai Rebbe. I don't know the the name of the song. She just sent me the newest, latest Yishai Rebbe. All his stuff is is right. riveting, inspiring, and heartfelt. Favorite food. Favorite food. Anything that my Aishas Chayim makes. Oh, what a smart man! What? <laughs> it's a true. Smart. What a smart man. 
Um, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question? I mean, I feel I'd love to ask both of, both, both of you this question about Reb Chaim. You know, there's a lot of videos that are coming out right now about his, 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 his um, <coughs> humor. There's a lot of videos where he's, he's I don't want to say being a, a, you know, a, a real person, because again, he's in a different league. I, I, I get it. I'm just saying, but, but you see the humor in the conversations he's having. You're hearing that he wasn't, uh, you, you, he put in so much a malice. It, 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 it wasn't, you know, call it a God-given talent. He obviously had extreme talent. I'm not, again, we're not taking away, but he put in a malice. Like he, supposedly, he, he worked for everything that he got. You know, there's a yeah. there's a whole nother level that we're finding out now about Reb Chaim that, that that no one was speaking about. I before. think they're both true. I think they're you both know? true. You know, Rav David Cohn Shlita, um, who had a very close relationship with with Reb Chaim, talked about his sense of humor that people didn't appreciate. And I think that they're not a contradiction to say he wasn't part of this world and he was entirely immersed in Torah and he was a vessel of of holiness and of Torah, but he also knew how to relate to this world and also in the end of the day. In the end of the day, we're a religion that doesn't believe that human beings are God. They're human beings. So they can be very holy human beings. They can be very elevated human beings. But but they are human beings. I don't know, Rabbi Gibber, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, I also have n- not only so many experiences being there, but so many experiences with his very human side. I remember actually one of the times I took my son, when I took Chaim, my my oldest son, we took him to uh, put on his tefillin. And, and it was like, you know, preparing and walking up those steps, those sacred steps and going into the inner chamber. And he was like shaking and nervous and trip, you know, with trepidation and trembling. And I was trying to, you know, A, number one, calm his feelings, but also like kind of be in the moment with him. We, we stood before Reb Chaim and actually somebody caught a picture of this. I'm happy to share it with you later and it's it like literally transformed the experience you know chaim had his payas behind his ears so he said to chaim Reb chaim said to my chaim my son he in jest and kibbutzing he says are you are you embarrassed of your judaism are you are you are you shy of your judaism he said no he says i'll put your pays in front of the ears and make them in front so that it should be that everybody should see your pays and he like like gave a, a little knipple on the cheek. He gave a little pinch on the cheek, and it was, it, it, it like took a a thirteen year old child who had this trepidation, and all of a sudden he was like a human, smiling like Zadie almost, and it like it was now he was approachable and it was special. And I and there was a picture that was snapped literally in that moment, where he, where Chaim like takes his pace and puts him in front of his ears and says, "Don't be shy." First of all, it was a message, and it was and it was it was meaningful. Like, don't be shy. Be proud of your Judaism and where you're. Where, not it's not a story of payas, but be proud of your Judaism stam. But it was also a relatability and a, and a chuckle and a sweetness and a and a and a, and a, and a I mean he was the Sar Hatira and he was the the, the Zaidi and the repository of our Masora. And Masora is we got it to the Bincha, that's like our that's the umptif that we're in right now. And I'll just I guess if I could, I'll just I just had like this 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 thought, you know, we're all Preparing Shloshim Yom Lifnei Achag, getting ready for Pesach. So the Slonim Rebbe writes in the Siva Shalom that, that, that Pesach is the Rosh Hashanah of Amuna. Famously, he writes that. So if you think about that, and, and you know, someone's just talking about how to hold on to, to the, the void that's left. So if you think about like the Rosh Hashanah of Amuna, that means it's a Rosh Hashanah of Amuna. You know what that means? That means from Purim on, right now, we're in Chodesh Elul. We're in mm. Elul 
of Amuna. We're in Shloshim Yom Lifnei Chag, like as El is to Yom Narayim. So from Purim to Pesach is Chodesh El. We're making all these hachonas. It's like, it's Amuna and it's it's being mechazik, our Mesorah. So I felt, first of all, it's this time, this Kufa specifically, but but Bifrat, obviously you need it. The, the relationship to be able to connect to that Mesorah. Mm. He had this unbelievable way of connecting when you were able to connect to it and the, the relation that my my son sees him as he was, but also has like this very personal experience with him where Rav Chaim mm. struggled with him and held his hand also. Mm. It, it was great. It was really Thank great. you for sharing. Thank you for sharing wow. your impressions, your stories. It's great to be together behind the Bima. Great to be together in person soon. Mirza Shem. So we are super grateful to you joining us and live. We are live tonight. A long edition of Behind the Bima. But there is a lot to do. Rabbi Brody has to figure out where he is and how to get home. <laughs> Rabbi, Rabbi Giver, tonight we're playing the latest game of where is Rabbi Brody. <laughs> I'm sorry Simone I missed the lunch. <laughs> Simone wants to know where is Rabbi Brody. But we're grateful to all of you. Thank you to the Gnaris for sponsoring. Thank you to Rabbi Levitansky. should stay safe. His community should be safe and well. Everyone should chip in and do what they can to support the Ukraine. Thank you to our dear friend, Rabbi Giver. Until next time. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.